0: Well, today we are uh, we're getting close to the end. The finish line is right over there. So we are in uh, Genesis brace I mean, the Torah portion is uh, a great one today, isn't it? Uh, it is. Uh, you know what it's called in Hebrew? It's called Bo, right? Bo. But now it doesn't mean this in English. But go, <laughs> right? It's what it, come actually is what it means in in Hebrew, but. Go. That's where the, we go out of Egypt, right? Okay. Anyways, any, or anyway, we are in Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, and you know, there's uh, there's a few different ways of uh, looking at this uh, of looking at this passage. You know, I did have to think to myself: we did finish 48. I, I'm almost positive. If I missed a few verses, I'm sorry, but I think we finished it. Okay, about the legacy of Jacob. Uh, because, see, the end of chapter 48 is when uh, that's where Jacob blesses uh, manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Joseph, and it actually says he blessed Joseph, when you read the text carefully. It says he blessed Joseph when he prayed over Joseph's sons, right? Uh, and that is, in, in a way, the introduction to chapter 49, because... Uh, what uh, Jacob was doing in chapter 49 is he was giving, you might say, a prophetic blessing on the sons of Joseph. And of course, we know he elevated them to the status of son. And this uh, was how Joseph could receive a double portion of land, especially, and, you know, of blessing. And then when we come to chapter 49, now Jacob, these are really the last words of Jacob, and he's going to give a... I like to call it, a prophetic blessing on his sons. In other words, uh, a blessing in the sense of he is showing them favor in describing their future and blessing in the sense of, uh, of identity and communication. You know, I, last year I uh, did a mini-course on blessing. And one of the things that we learn about blessing is blessing is, in a way, it describes a relationship with God in one way or another. And so by Jacob blessing them, it was a way that he's saying that you are my sons, you're always going to be my sons, uh, and there is a destiny for you as the sons of Israel. And we know that to this day there is a destiny for the sons of Israel. But what's interesting uh, here is that he breaks it down over each of his sons. Uh, and he had he, uh, of all of his sons, we see that they're, they're not all equal in the blessing, right? Uh, some are blessed in positive ways more than others, but none of them ceases to be a son of Israel. You know, not even Dan or Simeon or, you know, they're all sons of Israel uh, all the way through to this very day. Even if, you know, the descendants of each tribe don't know who they are, which is what the true reality is. Although, I don't know, is there like a tribesofisraelancestry.com? Like, oh, I'm from Naphtali. Oh, I thought I was from Issachar all these years. You know, or maybe there's 2% Benjamin in me as well, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, why did I say that? Anyway, all right. So uh, the 12 tribes, they never cease belonging to God. That's very important in understanding this. But they each have, the, the tribes have a destiny within the calling of being the sons of Israel. So uh, that's very important here to to get, that they all have a destiny. And it's kind of a mixed bag. When you read it, it's very difficult to come away with a cohesive understanding of this chapter because it's a mixed bag. Some of them have good things, some bad things, some good and bad things. Kind of like real life in a way, right? So let's begin at the beginning and then we'll make a couple of observations. It says here, Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what shall befall you in the days to come. Now, days to come does not necessarily mean the end of days, okay? It does not necessarily mean the end of days. But it means the future. You know, I think you you could sort of, in the future, okay? So not speaking of them as individuals, not speaking of them, this is what's going to happen to you in the next 50 years, but this is basically the destiny of your descendants, okay? Now, there's a few things that we learn, some principles right off the top. One is that we don't know how our own actions affect generations to come, you know? I mean, think about Reuben, right? Uh, Reuben did something, now forevermore, uh, you know, there's a trajectory of his descendants, and it's not about judging to the third and fourth generations, that, that kind of thing, it's just uh, a trajectory. Now, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, you always have to sort of, I always have to go back to that in so many things, because it says the secret things belong to God, <laughs> okay? How that plays out, who knows exactly? We d- We don't know that, but What we do know is, then, is that our actions play a role in the future. That's a profound thing to think about and way way to live, that the way I conduct my life uh, plays some role in the trajectory of generations to come. Now, it doesn't play out in like... If I'm godly, my descendants will be godly. If I'm, uh, you know, if I make some mistakes along the way, now everything's all messed up for generations to come. Because, by observation, and I'll bet you've seen this too, that there are some, uh, and if you're a parent here, this will be really helpful, I trust, right? That there are some marvelous parents that pray, love their children, everything, you know, but... You see, in generations to come, as long if you live long enough, that sometimes it, they go sideways, you, you know, and, and things happen. And so there's a tendency for us to blame ourselves for that, right? And the reality is, it, it, I always go back to when I became a believer, that, uh, you know, my parents were wonderful people. They didn't know the Lord, but they were wonderful people, you know? And I, from their point of view, when... <laughs> Took a left turn, right turn, backwards, uh, up, down, who knows what, but, you know, uh, went an entirely different way. And I know that God was working in my life. And I know that when I made a decision, (laughs) you know, in my own life, and I have seen plenty of people uh, who raise their, uh, who train up their children in the way they should go. And when they grow up, they don't uh, keep that straight word there. They don't, they don't keep going straight. Did I, is that blasphemy or what? No, it is not. Because, uh, and I'll just throw this in because it plays a role here. Proverbs 22, verse 6, is not a promise, nor is it a prophecy, nor is it a law. It's a proverb. That's why it's in the book of Proverbs, <laughs> right? It's a proverbial statement. And basically what it is, is the wisdom of God when everything's working out. Like this is how it's supposed to be. But we live in a world where it isn't always what it's supposed to be, hence the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, which are other great books of wisdom for when things don't seem to be working out, right? So I wanted to say that right at the beginning, that, that what you have here is uh, these sons uh, play a role in the trajectory of their descendants. And so in one way, shape, or form, you know, God is at work, and it's just an interesting concept to, to indeed think about. So, he's, so this is, these are like the last words of Jacob, okay? So in a way, it's, uh, uh, it's kind of like a deathbed blessing. It's a farewell address, a poetic uh, rendition of the future. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that it, at the very end of uh, Genesis. Now, it, it plays another role, a, a, very, a canonical role. That means a role in the way the Bible's laid out right? In the way the text is laid out, okay? Because, you know, it's not only, by the way, the words that are inspired. The whole thing's inspired. So when you ask yourself, why does this story come after this story? Or why is there a poem here and there's a law over here? That's also part of the God-breathed word, the way the, way the Bible is laid out. So Genesis 49 plays another role. It really is the end of the story, Okay. It's the end of the story. What you have in chapter 50 is like the epilogue, you know, the, the epilogue of the story of Joseph, right, uh, which is also very, very important. But what you have here now, you have all the tribes and you have a word about their future. And Genesis is about the calling out of, uh, of Israel, you know, and we read uh, about how the how they were born and um, and what they did and how they went to you know different aspects of their lives, how they ended up in Egypt and so on and so forth. But now you have like this the, the trajectory of this is what will be, and uh, and so it serves as a nice ending of the you know of the of the story here. Okay, it's interesting. The Bible begins with uh, the God with God speaking the world into existence. Right, uh, and uh, and now you have through the mouth of Jacob, uh, God uh, speaking uh, the future, the future of the called people, the future of Israel. Now, what happens after this is in Exodus? Now you have a nation. It's like uh, it's uh, the another another story. It's the end of the formation of the nation, and uh, and now you have the nation in Exodus. So. Uh, it serves a number of different purposes. All right, so now uh, what he's going to do is he's going to say a word about each of the tribes. And they're not exactly in their birth order, by the way. Now, at the beginning they are uh, because uh, the sons uh, that, that Leah bore go first. So basically, the way this is laid out is you have at the beginning the sons of Leah and at the end the sons of Rachel. And in the middle, the sons of Bilhai and Zilpah. And it's sort of like Bilha, Zilpa, Zilpa, Bilha, Rachel. So it makes for a very nice structure of the of, of the chapter. Okay, all right. I know those are the burning questions that you've had about this chapter. All right. So now let's uh, begin here with uh, with first the uh, first three... S- oh, let me make a couple more observations. One is there's two sons that are really just you know, uh, God's blessing their socks off, as we might say, right? And those two sons are Judah and Joseph, okay? They stand out in this chapter first by the number of verses about them. There's more verses about Judah and Joseph than any of the others, okay? Some of them get one verse, some of them get two verses. But you see four or five verses for Judah and, and Joseph. And we see a lot of things going on with them. and So that really is also the trajectory of the nation. That Judah and Joseph are really the primary sons in the history of uh, the Jewish people. In fact, we see in the, Ex- in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 37, that the coming together, you know, the, the dry bones, that the dry bones coming together is primarily... Uh, you know, uh, the northern and southern kingdom called uh, Ephraim, which is the son of Joseph uh, and Judah. And we know that the, uh, you know, Ephraim is the, um, the primary tribe of the northern uh, kingdom. And, but it's, what it says in Ezekiel 37, though, is that Joseph and Judah come together again. Joseph and Judah, the two sticks, if you've ever read that. They come together, Joseph and Judah, and so they're the primary. They're the primary tribes here in Genesis 49. They're the primary tribes there in Ezekiel 37, talking about you know the the future of uh, of Israel. Uh, and so that's uh, uh, you know important uh, as well. Okay, so it does speak about the future of uh, of the nation. So now let's begin with uh, the first three. Sons. We're just going to look at the first three sons today, because another way to break this down is there's three basic groups of sons when it comes to blessing, okay? So we saw that they're, you know, they're grouped by who their mother is, first of all. We see that it begins with uh, the, you know, not begins, but the two primary blessings are Judah and Joseph. We, we've observed that. We said that it's a mixed bag, right? But there's three kinds of blessings, so first what we read is about Reuben uh, and Simeon and Levi and, uh, uh, and about how they blew it, basically. Okay, and, uh, uh, and, and so we read that, about blessings lost, you might say. Then you have uh, another uh, group that's kind of like, um, it's a mixed bag, some good things and some bad things. And then you have another group, uh, that you read of just good things, so you have m- blessings lost, a mixed bag, and really good and really great things. And but they're all the sons of Israel, so it's important that we uh, you know, that we sort of get that. So we want to look at Reuben, Simeon, and Levi uh, uh, today because they fall into the category of lost blessings. Okay, but not sonship. But lost blessings along the way. So uh, we read here now in verse 2: gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. By the way, Israel and Jacob are used interspersed here. And five times each. It's kind of interesting. Five times each. Five times you read Jacob, five times you read Israel. Okay. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my and the beginning of my strength. Preeminent in dignity. And preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Okay, so Reuben. Reuben is uh, the firstborn. Reuben himself, uh, later on, is blessed by the tribe of Reuben, is blessed by Moses. Uh, we read uh, about Reuben a little bit later on. We read that he had a lot of cattle. We read that uh, he saw the plains of Bashan uh, as a really good place for the cattle. And Moses uh, lets Reuben dwell or have land uh, on, the, uh, uh, the, on the side of the Jordan outside of the promised land, Right? Uh, and we see that the tribe of Reuben goes into the land and fights for his brothers and comes out. So we read, we don't read all bad about Reuben. Reuben is not like evil. okay? But he has missed out on God's best. So we read here, uh, my firstborn. Now the firstborn means, as it says, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. So ultimately, the firstborn, Reuben, should be both the kingship, kingship, uh, and, uh, and also uh, land. Okay? Reuben should have the most, he should have the most responsibility, he should have the most dignity, uh, he should have the most honor, uh, he should be the leader of his brothers, uh, uh, and so on. But we read, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Okay? You shall not have preeminence. To be uncontrolled means to be reckless. Uh, Actually, it's used uh, more times as the word reckless than anything else. Unstable, reckless, wanton, boastful, out of control. That's all the semantic range of of that word. Okay? Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. And then we read why. Because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Okay. So in uh, chapter 35, we read here, and it came in verse 22, and it came about while Israel was dwelling in the land that Reuben went up and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. That's all we read about that there. And Israel heard of it. This happened, and Jacob heard about it. okay? Uh, then you read in another place about this. It's actually in, uh, it's in First Chronicles. in First Chronicles uh, chapter five in verse one. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. So we see that two things end up happening to uh, Reuben. We see that the leadership role ends up going to Judah, and we see that the birthright, the double portion of land, goes to Joseph uh, in his, uh, you know, two sons. And so what we see here is uh, that Reuben... Forfeits what God had for him. He forfeits uh, the land and the, the, all, all of the blessings of being the, uh, of being the firstborn. But he doesn't cease from being a son. He doesn't cease from being a son. Now, does Reuben play a role, play any kind of dramatic role later on? We don't really read of the Reubenites doing anything. Of course, a famous sandwich was eventually named after them. But uh, we do not read of anything uh, really significant about the firstborn anymore, okay? He's not left off in, you know, varieties of genealogies and things like that, but he doesn't have the birthright. He missed out on, uh, you know, on the best. Now, let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Simeon and Levi are brothers, now, they're number two and three, uh, children of Leah. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So now I th- this is uh, rather interesting here. Uh, chapter thirty-four. In chapter thirty-four, that's the story of Dina. right? The rape of Dina. Uh, and uh, we see that uh, you know Simeon and uh, Levi uh, led the way of uh, slaying all of the you know all of the men and uh, and all of that. And we see that. Um, at the end of the day, that uh, they're judged for uh, their violence, okay, for their revenge and their violence. And uh, Jacob is very um, when he, when he says, "Let my soul not enter into their council, nor uh, let my glory be united uh, uh, with their assembly, because they're in their anger they slay men because of uh, their anger and what they did." Uh, they forfeit the best that God has for them. They don't stop being sons. When it comes to Simeon, Simeon is really uh, obscure in uh, anything uh, after this point. In fact, Simeon has, the, has, a, has a few uh, fewer in numbers than most of the other tribes, I think all the other tribes. Uh, now Levi, though, is rather interesting. Now there's nothing mentioned here, uh, by the way, about the priesthood. Isn't that interesting? The priesthood doesn't come in until later, and Levi has a real checkered past, right? I mean, you have the, uh, the golden calf episode, and Levi is the gatekeeper uh, of the people, right? Uh, and so uh, we see that uh, Levi uh, is the priesthood, but they don't have any land, and so that's kind of interesting. They, they end up with no land, although they, uh, they are a very good example of the grace and mercy of God uh, here. And even though they missed out on God's best, God did use them in a mighty way. It kind of reminds you a little bit of Paul, right, in the, in the New Covenant. In fact, we might have met, read this uh, a few weeks ago, maybe. Uh, in First Timothy, at the end of the first chapter, Paul says about himself, I thank Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy because I acted and I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Messiah Yeshua. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Yeshua the Messiah, might demonstrate his perfect patience (laughs) as an example uh, for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So Levi is kind of like Paul in in that regard. Levi misses out on the kingship and the land. But yet God blesses Levi, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the priesthood. David is another example, kind of like that, right? Where David has a real checkered uh, past or present history as king. Yet he misses out on God's best in terms of his family. Misses out on God's best. But yet God uses him, you know, in mighty ways. Okay. So one of the things that we, uh, that we learn here is that it is indeed possible to, be, to know the Lord and also, yes, to have a, a measure of blessing in our lives, but to miss out on the best. Now, when I say miss out on the best, not the best as in, what's God going to give me? Because the best is always the ability to serve God, right? The ability to serve God and to be, to be used by the Lord and to make a difference in, you know, in the lives of, of, of people, and the fruitfulness that, that comes as a result of that in our own lives, right? And sometimes, because of our own actions, we we miss the opportunity. As Golda Meir once said about a group of people, we could maybe apply to, to ourselves or, or people we know, we never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, you know? Uh, and uh, think about that. And uh, and sometimes we do that. We are our own worst enemies. Uh, we shoot ourselves, you know, uh, in the foot uh, and elsewhere, perhaps, uh, and uh, and miss out on opportunity. It's probably maybe a better way to say it than than missing out on God's best. Missing out on opportunity. So there's a few places, you know, in the New Covenant uh, that we read uh, that we read about this. Okay. Uh, one of them is, uh, is really uh, quite interesting. It's in 1 Corinthians. In fact, you know what's interesting is all these examples come from 1 Corinthians. There's three great examples of this in 1 Corinthians. And if you remember what that's about, uh, 1 the, the congregation at Corinth had a lot of issues, had a lot of problems. And basically what the first letter to Corinth is, 1 Corinthians, is really about addressing problems. So it's not a great book to point to and say, see, (laughs) you know, the way the Corinthians uh, are, that's how we want to be. Because, in fact, I once saw driving somewhere uh, uh, in the name of a church called, like, First Corinthians Assembly or something. I thought, what's what's wrong with these people? Don't they read the Bible? (laughs) You, You know? That is the congregation we don't want to be associated with, right? And it doesn't have anything to do with being Messianic or Jewish or anything like that. Although, you know, an interesting thing about 1 Corinthians is, is that when you look at, the, uh, when you look at the, the founding of that congregation, it's in a Jewish neighborhood uh, in Corinth. Uh, and, uh, and, and so there's a lot of allusions to Jewish things in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. Very, very interesting. very interesting book. But anyway, in chapter 9... Paul's talking about himself. And in a way, therefore, he's talking about the the people there. And you read uh, at the end of the chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in uh, verse 24. Well, you know me. Verse 23. And I do all things for the sake of the good news, for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? "...run in such a way that you may win, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he never says disqualified from what, exactly. He's using it as a a metaphor of of serving God, of uh, fulfilling his calling, uh, of being tested. In fact, you could probably translate the word disqualified as, uh, you know, like failing the test, okay? And in other places where we read about being tested, it's not about... Not everything is about my eternal destiny. Not everything is about, is this about going to heaven or hell, okay? But it's about what kind of person am I? And in this context, what Paul is talking about is what, what some might refer to as eternal reward for what he's doing, okay? Now, he goes on here, and it helps us to understand when he talks about disqualified. In chapter 10, pretend there's no 10 there. For... He's continuing the thought. It's not a new thought here. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Messiah. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well-pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved, and do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And then you have that famous verse, right? Uh, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape, also that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Okay, so he's speaking to Messiah followers, and he's speaking about their lives. He's talking about following the Lord, about being obedient to the Lord, and uh, and and uh, being able to serve uh, to serve the Lord. And so when Paul is talking about himself that he doesn't want to be disqualified, he's not. I don't think he's thinking about my eternal destiny. I think he's being disqualified from blessing, disqualified from service, disqualified from being able to be, a, to be able to fulfill the calling for which I was given. And that happens to a lot of people. There's a lot of people that God calls and are not able to fulfill their calling because they fail the test. They don't necessarily, it doesn't mean that their eternal destiny is lost. But they fail the test. And don't we all know people, some very well known, who fail the test and become disqualified? And many not well known, right? We gotta all take heed lest we fall. We all gotta be careful in our walk with the Lord because we can really miss out. And not only when we, when we think about, uh, this, remember that we begin living our life forever when we come to know Messiah. It's not just after I die. And so in this life, uh, you know, we can miss out and be disqualified from the blessings of service and making a difference in people's lives. And and then after we die, it has to do with what the Bible refers to as uh, rewards and things of that nature. And there's other examples of this, uh, 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 of this elsewhere. Now, this is what happened to Reuben, may I suggest, Levi and Simeon. They didn't stop being sons. Their destiny as being the chosen people is still the chosen people. But their particular role they forfeited. And so what a, what a warning, you know, that is uh, indeed to us. You know, and we look at our own lives and we think, boy, you know, I got to be careful. how I, I Let me not take for granted the opportunities that I have in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. If you go back there, again, the same book, because they were in error. That's why these examples are here. Okay? They were in error. And he's saying, don't disqualify yourself, men and women of Corinth, who know know me. It's interesting because, you know, if you read the very beginning, he refers to them as saints, sanctified people. So that's who he's speaking to. All right? So in chapter 3, in verses 14 and 15, okay? Okay, let's go back to verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder... I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. Now if any man or any person builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each person's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each person's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. So, you see, it's not about eternal destiny of um, you know, heaven and hell uh, decisions. But what's going to last and I think that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about being disqualified, you know. What's going to last? Uh, if you burn wood, hay, and stubble, it burns up. But the silver, gold, and precious stones lasts, in this case, forever and withstands the fire. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing in my life? What am I doing in my life that's going to last forever forever? Am I, uh, I know, I know the Lord, but am I in danger of being disqualified from service and from calling because, uh, because I can't resist the temptations of this world? The, the, uh, the generation that fell in the wilderness were still children of Israel, see, very important to, uh, you know, to, to understand, but they missed the calling of entering the land. Remember, in early in, in the Exodus chapters, in chapter three and in chapter six, God, God says, "I'm bringing you out of Egypt to bring you into this land." And so they experienced the redemption of coming out of Egypt, but they didn't experience getting into the land. See, and so this is an important question for us: What am I doing? What am I building? What am I using my time, my energy, uh, my finances, my 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 uh, thought life? Uh, Every you know all of me. You know how we read in the Shema. It always comes back to the Shema, right? Uh, love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being, with every bit of you, right? Uh, and, uh, and and so uh, that that is the challenge here. There is another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter five. This is a pretty severe one. Beginning in verse one, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, even among the Gentiles, or the pagans, is what that's referring to here, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I in my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who is so, who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Yeshua... When you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Yeshua, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Yeshua. Uh, But that's a tough statement, right? Take that one apart, right? Uh, But the point of the statement is is this, that uh, this one is like reprobate in, in, in his life, right and and has to be removed from the community of you know given given this person over to the powers of darkness so that they might not commit any more sins uh, to death that they might not commit any more sins but but be saved as though by fire ay 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 ay, ay. right i uh, and so you have here losing out Uh, on the blessings of God, losing out on the calling, losing out on the service of God because of what we do. You know, we should never really think of ourselves as, well, I said a prayer, and so now I'm good to go. You know, you might be good to go, okay? Okay. Uh, But we see here, Paul says in three different places, in a letter written to a congregation in a lot of trouble, some scary thoughts. You know, to wake them up. And, and of course, it's important for us as well that we wake up and that we recognize that, just like I was saying in the, the Torah service, you know, covenant faithfulness, that when we look at the Torah and we walk around with the Torah, it's about covenant faithfulness. Whether We're talking about our faithfulness or the faithfulness of God. One thing's for sure, God's faithfulness never moves. But our faithfulness determines a lot about the kind of life we're going to live. You know, and so uh, the, the wonderful thing though is just like we read about the tribe of Levi and, the, and we talked about Paul, that God is always waiting to receive us uh, as Messiah followers. It's ne- we're never a lost cause, you know. So uh, we could say that, well, you know, we might be disqualified for a season in our lives, but if I repent, if I turn back, and if I confess my sins, I get to start over again. And that is a wonderful truth uh, uh, for us. We're never a lost cause. We might forfeit blessing and service for as long as I decide to live on the wild side or, or not take it seriously or not really walk as a disciple of Yeshua. But there's always, as long as we live, the opportunity to come and start over. Remember about Jacob. Remember, when was the best years of his life? The best years of his life were the last years of his life. You need to remember that. That, you know, it's never over till it's over, as a famous prophet once said. Right? Wasn't a Jewish prophet, but could have been. Anyway, uh, and and how important is that? Because, let's just close with this. Uh, In, well, there's a million things I could say. Well, I'll only say one of them. Okay. And that is in uh, one John. And you know this passage. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. If we agree with God about our sins, if we repent, we turn back to him. We, uh, we confess them to God. He, uh, he remains faithful. He's always faithful, always standing there ready to forgive us. And cleanse us, not only forgive us, but cleanse us, which means we can start over again with God. Now, we may have to face the consequences of our actions and and things uh, uh, that, that have taken place, but in the eyes of God, we always have the opportunity to start again, to start anew. Remember the prodigal son, right? His father was waiting for him to return, right? and, uh, and, uh, and, and th- that son had to get low enough, and he finally came back. He had for- he had used up his inheritance and forfeited blessing. But you see, it was restored to him when he returned. And so let us uh, remember that it's never too late, but also let us heed the warning of uh, not being disqualified and forfeiting uh, the blessings of God like Reuben, Simeon uh, and Levi. Let's pray, Lord uh, God. Uh, thank you uh, for this uh, generous warning, Lord. That congregation in Corinth had immorality in it, uh, abuse of uh, of all kinds in it, uh, Lord. But thank you, God, that you did not do away with it, but you warned them about being disqualified of blessing. And to thank you, Lord, that we we actually know from the second the second letter to the uh, Corinthians, that they repented, and that they felt guilty and sorrowful, and that they, that they indeed repented, and that they felt sorrowful to the point of repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that if we experience conviction, that it might drive us to you, and may we lament over our sinful condition or decisions that we've made as the road to redemption and praise the Lord. Thank you that you never, ever, ever give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that we may be the coin, the sheep, and the sun, that you go to the nth degree to bring back, not only in order to know the Lord, to come to faith, but to be redeemed as a believer. And God, may we always uh, remember that, that there are no lost causes. And so, God, just may we continue to pray. May we repent ourselves. And may we continue to pray, uh, Lord, uh, and uh, God, may you indeed bring redemption to those who have gone the other way, Lord. And may we be careful ourselves, we pray in Messiah's name.